Volume One, Chapter Two of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, On the Terrace. Sir Victor was a man the first sight of whom gave one the idea that he trod the earth with a peculiarly firm tread. His walk was not a stride nor a plunge, but an assured, rapid, masterful walk each foot seeming to take a steady hold of the ground until the other had found its place sir victor moved with the air of one who believes that all he sees belongs to him he had a large forehead strongly marked features heavy eyebrows and quick gleaming eyes his face was almost smooth-shaven he kept his head thrown back as he walked he was not handsome but he was commanding in appearance and few who looked at him would have thought of mentally inquiring whether he was handsome or not there was something stern something tragic about his face his forehead seemed scarred with the thunder as with marcellus in virgil's poem darksome night appeared amid all his triumph to gather its black shadow around his head women admired him that was certain admired him and were afraid of him admired him all the more because they were afraid of him he had been a very successful man thus far he had entered public life with some fortune to back him but with no aristocratic connections he had married both fortune and rank his wife had died after a year but his success was assured his marriage had been the turning point in his career now he had come to be the maker of peers and the patron even of dukes he had a consuming ambition his friends said it was a noble ambition his enemies said that it was an ambition ruinous to his country it was not a selfish ambition in the lowest sense but if it led him wrong it would be likely to do infinitely more harm than any merely selfish ambition could have wrought in such a position as that of a modern english statesman had sir victor only coveted office rank power influence for himself and been content with such acquisitions he might have had enough to sate the most greedy ambition and yet have done no great harm to anything except his own nature and his own soul but the ambition of sir victor champion was to have his own name inseparably associated in time to come with some great change wrought in the condition of his country his admirers insisted that his only desire was to have his name remembered in connection with some great good deed done by or for england but his enemies would have it that he was resolved to be remembered in history at england's expense if he could not be remembered in blessings both sides it is likely were partly right were seized of half the truth the ambition which identifies our country's glory with our own does not always regard our own glory as identical with that of our country the aspiring youth who fired the ephesian dome was only a fool for his pains or a madman it is a comfort to reflect that there are not many ambitions like his but a man of very different quality might have set fire to the temple under the impression that he was only illuminating it while inscribing his own name in letters of flame round its dome lady saxon having got her opportunity was determined not to lose it she wanted to bring sir victor champion to her side here in the full light of the house of commons lobby 
she had deeper and much stronger reasons for this desire but one of her minor and superficial reasons was to inflict a sort of punishment on bellarmin who had been thinking a great deal too much about miss beaton and her claims and her beauty we have not met for a long time sir victor lady saxon said turning her eyes upon him and then letting them droop except in the most casual and commonplace way we have not met to talk no we have not been floated together sir victor answered in a deep melodious voice which fell caressingly on her ear and made the blood rush for an instant to her cheek i am glad to find you in town lady saxon looked up again straight into his face there was something at once seductive and defiant in her glance her expression was peculiar she seemed to be commanding sir victor's attention and to be appealing at the same time to a claim upon his sentimental regard which only he and she understood lord saxon it was evident suspected no such claim his heavy head was bent showing the bull-like conformation of neck and giving him an appearance of dull obstinacy in striking contrast with the alert dominant expression of the liberal chief the eyes of both sir victor and lady saxon turned for a second upon him and met again lady saxon laughed in a forced manner but her voice faltered in spite of herself the current has drifted us together at last she said but you might have found me before look here josephine lord saxon broke in i have got to go away for a while you know i dare say champion won't mind seeing you back to the ladies gallery or the terrace if you want to go i'll meet you later on at lady dorrington's very well she answered and gave him a smile as she added that means there will be nothing much going on here and that there is to be a political caucus at the dorrington's instead saxon doesn't often go with me to an evening party lord saxon strode away i don't think i need give you the trouble of mounting up to the ladies gallery with me sir victor i have heard enough for one night and it is hot and stuffy up there why do you gaze up in that sort of way i think i had better get home and go on to lady dorrington's shall i see you there sir victor shook his head he seemed to be hesitating as to what he should say next she watched him narrowly she was eager to see whether he would take her at her word and let her go will you come for a turn on the terrace he asked at last in a low tone the night is delightful she could hardly restrain a deep breath of exultation yes thanks since you are so good indeed i told one or two women that i should be on the terrace come this way sir victor said and she swept out of the lobby with him making as she passed a parting bow to bellarmin who had just been presented to the mysterious stuart girl and who appeared by no means unhappy even though lady saxon was leaving him lady saxon and sir victor passed out of the lobby into a corridor lined on both sides with the schoolboard-like numbered lockers in which members keep their papers they went through a swinging brass door on the left and made their way down a tortuous staircase darksome as that of a jail and at the bottom of this sordid staircase to another door which conducted to a stone passage on the right wheeling round to the left again they were at a gate through which they suddenly passed into all the beauty and glory of the soft night of early summer and found themselves on the terrace where the river washes the southern walls of westminster palace there was a moon shining 
but its brightness was dimmed by the amber glow which poured down from the library windows above and the lamps set at intervals along the balustrade illuminating the wide stone walk a fitful breeze swept up from the water the river closed in here by the two stone bridges with their cavern-like arches and triangular jets of light had a ripple on it and looked alive the reflections of the lanterns in the barges lying along the embankment seemed to dance in the depths opposite rose the great square blocks of st thomas hospital with their spectral windows and the tall grey shot tower lower down lost itself in the mist a little steamer puffing and groaning and the roar of the sharing cross train gave life and commonplace reality to the scene which otherwise had a curious solemnity and impressiveness i am always ashamed of that vile dark staircase champion said in his conventional manner as they walked up to the end and turned again and yet i think we ought to keep it as it is if only for the reason that the terrace looks so much more attractive because of the caverns through which we have to get to it don't you think so lady saxon i have been thinking of many things since we came out but not of that she answered perhaps sir victor did not wish to notice the significance of her tone or perhaps his mind was occupied with the late election and tressel's majority or perhaps he had thrown off the statesman for a moment and was enjoying the picturesqueness of the place and of the evening sir victor champion had a quick and vivid interest in almost everything certainly there was hardly anything in which he could not promptly get up a genuine interest he had a liberal knowledge of art science history poetry romance the acting drama architecture japanese coloring and old china his power of throwing himself from subject to subject gave some excuse for the allegation of his enemies that a fatal levity a want of depth and adhesiveness was destined to mar his best gifts and make his career dangerous to his country he soon became conscious of the beauty of the scene and found a pleasure in expatiating on it to lady saxon as they walked along the terrace he began pointing out to her what he regarded as the most interesting objects and he was launching into quite an eloquent dissertation on the history of lambeth palace and the lollard's tower lady saxon's bosom heaved with impatience she had not come there to be told of the lollard's tower we walked together side by side the first time for years she said in a low tone of impassioned remonstrance and you can only talk to me about lambeth palace victor her voice dropped to the lowest softest most plaintive note of appeal as she looked into the statesman's face and called him by his name he stopped and turned to her in some surprise lady saxon he was beginning to say lady saxon she repeated in a low wistful protest josephine he said josephine how many years is it since i called you by that name she did not answer they had reached the end of the terrace and turned sir victor glanced at his companion lady saxon in her splendid beauty with her stately carriage her arms folded in her rich mantle and her eyes gazing earnestly into the night had about her a suggestion of the dramatic which was not without attraction for sir victor his temperament required the stimulant of drama he wondered what was passing in her mind he half expected some theatrical outburst but it did not come then 
have you noticed those thin white tracks along the latticework pattern of the pavement she asked quietly there are three of them see the middle one is very distinct they are the marks of many footsteps he replied the tracks of the men who have walked up and down here the tracks of the men who have made and are making history you are of them victor i think that if i were a writer i could compose a poem or a satire by the inspiration of those three narrow paths think of the big schemes that have been worked out here in the brains of ambitious men and think of the agonies of disappointment some of those men must have suffered as they paced these stones when their schemes had come to nothing yes said sir victor you have a quick imagination josephine these stones could tell many a soul's story think of the women who have walked here too lady saxon went on of the hopes that might be spoken and of those that might not even be whispered the fears and the ambitions for the husband or for the lover i wonder how much oftener for the lover the light flirtations the intrigues the heart tragedies but i don't want to talk of intrigues the heart tragedies oh i've seen enough of the house of commons victor to know that love often walks along this place masquerading as policy not with me i am not one of the politicians who turn the house of commons into the background of a flirtation why not politicians i suppose are but human and want some pastime in the intervals of their serious business mr bellarmin is not the only one of you who finds it here ready to hand what makes you instance bellarmin he comes naturally to one's mind people are talking of him just now he is young handsome and a power in his way and he will be a greater power still before very long remember he is the leader of the party which turned us out of office he has a future you are right said champion thoughtfully a woman who bound him with her chains might feel proud of her captive said lady saxon report speaks of you as that woman doesn't it is that why you have avoided me she asked in a different tone let us be frank with one another surely we have known each other too well for masks to be necessary now it would be more prudent to wear them would it not at any rate in this place he replied waiting till they had passed through the knots of people who were gathered about the various little tables in the middle of the terrace not at all she said no one would be surprised that i should be here with my husband's friend and leader but tell me why have you avoided me because josephine i felt that there might be danger in our intimacy danger she repeated to which of us i scarcely know i was afraid that the position might be painful to you our past has some troublous associations i thought it probable that as lady saxon you might wish that past forgotten or at least ignored not one memory of it which links me with you i cherish these associations they are sweeter to me than rank or riches sweeter to me than anything on this earth they are myself josephine if all that makes the good or ill of my life were to crumble into nothingness they would remain she paused and placed herself with her back against the balustrade which fronted the river the two were in shadow and far out of hearing of the merry groups scattered here and there by the tea-tables 
do you ever think of those old days victor she went on in a voice of smothered emotion those dear old days when we were so much to each other i have remembered them always josephine with tenderness and gratitude he too spoke with emotion to a critical listener it might have seemed only the echo of her emotion you loved me she asked eagerly even though you left me i loved you indeed and for many a long day i missed you but he hesitated you put the case harshly well be frank you owe me that she spoke with agitated insistence i find a greater difficulty in touching upon the past with lady saxon than i might have done with madame langenwelt you know that langenwelt married me after that because i refused to accept him on any other terms she put in coolly i had become indispensable to him the trade would have collapsed without me he was ennobled oh yes a patent of nobility bought out of the proceeds of quack medicines she laughed in an odd tuneless laugh it's a queer sort of career isn't it not altogether unlike that of emma hart lady hamilton you remember only i'm better educated i have to thank langenwalt for that and i'm not going to make a mess of the wind-up as she did good heavens in the days when i exhibited at sixpence a head who would have dreamed that i should ever have the right to go into dinner before your wife josephine said champion in some embarrassment and much pity it pains and perplexes me to hear you talk in this wild way your outspokenness is alarming i beg you for your own sake oh she interrupted with a gesture of her hands as if she would fling away pretenses outspokenness is the most highly prized of luxuries to me i can't afford to indulge in it often you shouldn't grudge it to me on an occasion like this you and i victor have the faculty of appreciating a situation as they say in the theatres at least i used to think so there's something dramatic about our meeting tonight, isn't there and to be in this place of all places the theatre of your glory you sacrificed me that you might play your part here and it's only fair now my turn has come that i should be allowed to do a little melodramatic spouting of my own again she laughed just then some passing member took off his hat lady saxon bowed a lovely night she remarked indifferently and so warm for the time of year do we lose anything by enjoying this delicious air who is speaking you have lost nothing only old what's-his-name hammering away still for the government he was awfully put out by the cheers for tommy tressel's election hasn't quite recovered even yet the member moved on lady saxon turned again to champion she put out her hand and touched his for a second as it rested on the balustrade you don't know how i've longed for this meeting i've dreamed of it i've rehearsed it i've she broke off with a low passionate ejaculation you don't seem moved you are your old self still impassive carried away sometimes by your intellect never by your heart and you are still your old self too he answered gently impulsive and emotional as you always were to you all this is nothing she went on bitterly a mere episode in a parliamentary session as i was in days gone by but i'm going to be something more than an episode now victor we meet on equal ground i can be of use to you 
I can further your projects. I can be a valuable ally instead of the shame and the hindrance you once thought me. <sighs> Josephine, your reproaches cut me like a knife. His deep voice, which in debate or invective was Sir Victor's most powerful weapon, thrilled Lady Saxon's ear and heart. Think of our position then, and you will admit that they are a little unjust. Come, can we not bury the past? Can we not make a compact from this night to be friends, dear friends and comrades? You must hear first what I've got to say. Oh, I'm not reproaching you. I think I admire you for your impassiveness and the cool judgment which made even love subordinate to political ambition. I always knew that I couldn't love a man unless he were my master. Surely your husband is a man whom you can love, and who might make himself your master? Lady Saxon threw her head back with a cynical, disdainful uplifting of her chin. My husband? I once read of a woman of whose husband it was said that he was her slave, her drudge, and her convenience. Lord Saxon is my slave, and he is my convenience. There was a silence between them for a few moments. Lady Saxon was the first to break it. I have never loved any man but you, Victor. I may tell you this, even though my frankness alarms you. You and I are above shams. I only ask you to be frank with me, brutally frank, if that is to tell the truth. I'll be as frank with you, Josephine, as your courage and generosity deserve. That is well. Let us talk our minds out for a few minutes only. Yes, I loved you, Victor, as I can love. And at first, when you left me, I hated you. I wanted to be revenged on you. Then, as I watched your career, I admired you for what you had done. I felt glad and proud that you had bought success, even by the sacrifice of me. At a distance, I began to understand you better, to see what your genius had seen so quickly and unerringly. Your time had come. Your opportunity was before you to seize or to leave. It was a choice between giving up me and giving up a grand future. You chose wisely. You gave up me. You gave up your Agnes Sorel, your Aspasia. Don't you think that is a pretty way of putting it? She said suddenly with a scornful laugh. Well, I thank you. If you hadn't chosen so, what should I be now instead of being what I am? You made me, Lady Saxon, and I shall have made you dictator of England. No one has ever understood me as you understand me, he said with a low-toned fervor. You have a noble, sympathetic soul, Josephine. You, too, feel that compelling force which drives our destinies and which I have always felt so strongly within me. I have a mission which to me is more than love. I know it. I know that I, too, have a mission. Yes, we stand on equal ground now, Victor. We will fight side by side. We must fight, either for or against each other. We breathe the same political atmosphere. Your life is mine. The current has drifted us together. You say, let us make a compact from this night to be friends and comrades. Yes, but on one condition. Name it. Whatever you ask shall be agreed to. You loved me once. I had great influence over you. I am content to take a secondary place. But I must have no rival there. We will not talk of love, you and I. My burst of melodrama is over. This only I ask you. I know you too well to doubt the truth of your answer. 
do you love any other woman i love no woman in the world josephine unless it be yourself since my wife's death i have given myself up completely to politics and i have no thought of marrying again the first place is yours the second place she corrected i will yield the first to england but i will not yield it to a woman there shall be no misunderstanding this is not a drawing-room conspiracy i have said that we will not talk of love let us bury the past then so the compact is made your hand upon it they clasped hands silently his was cool and firm he could feel hers through her glove trembling and feverish end of volume one chapter two